0: All right, take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, prescription for a maximized marriage and a healthy home, a full dose of perspective, what we need and what God gave, a prescription, a daily prescription, heavy-duty dual action pills, if you will, the authority and the priority pill, the leave transfer of authority, the establishment of the priority of your spouse, the exclusivity and security pill cleave. You have no rival, and you can can be secure in that, and therefore you can be vulnerable. Marriage is a place where you can be vulnerable and secure and free all at the same time. And then finally, the unity and intimacy pill, the two becoming one, different, but in harmony. And if you come from different places, different spaces, different upbringing, attached to the difference in how you are made, you're going to have to work at that. And uh, you need allies, and um, hopefully I'll have a chance to kind of give you some indicators or tools to help you work through differences, because... It can be destructive trying to navigate that territory as you journey forward together with deep convictions. I was saying to some folks at my table, Rafi and Talin, you know, I, I have, I'm, I'm right about everything. <laughs> you know, I'm convinced, I and um, you know, obviously that's uh, overstated, but in my opinion, my opinion is worthy of having. And then you add to that personality and a measure of training and education and verbal capacities. And so having a good conversation, discussion, slash uh, kind of a compromise negotiation, I'm going to win that, except I'm not. And so you have to learn to navigate together. Um, and there are some tools for that, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity in the near-term future to give you some of those tools that, without learning them, you're going to handicap your potential for what marriage can supply. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, uh, the importance of unity and intimacy, different but in harmony, is so critical. I wanted to conclude, and this is the shortest session, and I have the most material to cover in one session, this session. Um, Number three, this is what you need for a healthy home and a maximized marriage. You need a strong dose of inspiration and spiritual motivation. You need a strong dose of inspiration and spiritual motivation. Your marriage is more than just about you and her, your satisfaction and your fulfillment. It's more than your missional partnership. It's more than your parenting and partnering together to raise a family. Your marriage is about, watch these gestures, it's about him, not just you. And it's about them, not just you. 1 Peter chapter 3 is an important motivator, inspiration for you to recognize that it's more than our happiness in our home. It's about God's glory, and it's about God's gospel. And the reason I wanted to, t- to conclude with this section of Scripture is because it should inspire, encourage, it should provide motivation when you lack it at home. You can feel like, I'm out of gas. This is never going to work. This really matters, not just because of what happens between a man and a woman, what God intends and what you desire, but because of its influence on the world around you and the children that are being raised in your presence. Here's some sobering realities. Couple conflict in particular was the most significant risk factor for increased intellectual, emotional, and and painful difficulties among children. A home environment marred by high levels of parental conflict, particularly aggression, are highly damaging to a child's development. Most children who reject Christ do so because of the context of the home in which they're raised. Now, that is sobering, because you will agree with me, the most precious treasure, apart from your spouse, you're entrusted with is your children. And whether they become doctors or contributing members of society, what? What is most important to any parent who knows the Lord is that their children know the Lord. That they live for the Lord. I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth, the Apostle John said. My mother's 86, and every time I talk to her, it seems, she says, Harry, I am so glad that you and your sister are living for the Lord. She's in a retirement village in Brooksville, Florida, and she's got a lot of folks her age. And she said, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that I don't have the drama in my life that they have in their life. So thank you. Whatever else you do, thank you for being the kind of child that I can go to sleep at night and not worry about. That's what every parent wants. And one of the obstacles, chief obstacles, is the turmoil unresolved in a home, where there's conflict between a husband and a wife, where a marriage isn't healthy, or a accurate reflection, an accurate reflection of Christ in his church. Because Ephesians chapter five concludes that long section on marriage, that we are a picture of Christ in the church. Husband is a picture of Christ, church is a picture of the wife, the way the wife submits is a reflection of the church submission to Christ, the way the husband leads is a reflection of Christ and his leadership in the church. The sacrifice of a husband is the mirror and illustration of sacrifice, Christ for the church. The leadership of the husband in the home, the caring concern about spiritual growth in a spouse is a mirror image of an illustration of Christ and his desire for the church to mature and grow. A husband's nourishment of his wife's emotional and personal well-being is the nourishing affection of Christ for the church. The husband's protection and concern about the cherishing and the well-being of their spouse is a reflection of Christ and the church. Our home is the gospel in real time to children. And it's not just children, and it's not just family. It's neighbors and friends. We represent by the way we live an expression and validation of the gospel. By the way we live, we bring honor to God or dishonor to God. And God is worthy of honor. First Peter is couched in a context that should motivate us all. And the big idea, the strong dose of inspiration and strong motivation is the recognition. This is bigger than me and her or her and me. It's about him and it's about them. It is about you. It's just not most about you. And we live in a, you meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. If you don't, I'm out. It's bigger than that. That's tragic. It's sad. It doesn't have to be that way. But there's something bigger than that. And that's the glory of God and the rightful praise and honor that is His when we give testimony by the way we live. And it's about the gospel that really does save. Christianity is not religion and a way to live life. Christianity is life. Christianity is the recognition that God in me is the life worth living. And without God and without the gospel of God and without the person of Jesus Christ, every aspiration, every appetite will go unfulfilled. I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And that's even in your house. You can't live life abundantly at home without Jesus Christ as the empowering, transforming agent. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So please don't hear these exhortations today, including this one. Disconnected from the foundation of Jesus Christ the word of God, the gospel of God, and the spirit of God. That's bedrock. That's essential. This is about that and modeling that. So that's the context, chapter three, for this session. So let me read it, and then I'll give you some highlights, and I'll do my best to be efficient. Chapter three begins this way, in the same way, So he's been talking about something, and we're going to highlight it, but in the same way, you wives, Christian women, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husband's. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter was writing to the persecuted church. He was writing in the, to the persecuting church, persecuted church to encourage them to stand firm in their faith in the midst of the persecution. And he was also writing to the persecuted church to be standout witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing to encourage persecuted Christians to triumph in trial because of the hope they have, because of the reality of the gospel in recognition of what God has done and what he has guaranteed he will do. Stand firm in that. He is writing to encourage God's people also to stand out, to stand out in their faith by living out their calling as holy priests who proclaim God's excellencies in what they say and validate gospel realities by what they display. Like those days, we are in an era that is difficult. And because it's so dark and so difficult, this is unrivaled opportunity for your house to be different, your marriage to be different, because it's rarer than ever which calls attention to it. This is what the gospel does in a relationship. This is what God is worthy of in a relationship. I want you to look over in chapter 2, and I'm just setting the stage because I want you to really appreciate the calling to submit. Verse 9 of chapter 2, and there's lots of places we could look, but for the sake of time, here's the chief foundation for this thought. Peter writes, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a set-apart nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Part of your praising is your testifying, for you, were once, for, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So look up for a minute. You're a royal priesthood. A priest, pontifex, Latin word, is a bridge builder. That's what it means, to build a bridge. To build a bridge between people and God and God to people. As a Christian, you're a bridge builder. You're a connector. You connect people to God and God to people. You're holy. You're set apart for that. You're set apart to him, for him, and for them. But you're more than a people connector. You're a God presenter. The, you are a people for God's own possession. What they see in you will allow them to see him. What they hear from you when you proclaim, verse 9, his excellencies. You're a praise prompter. You're a people connector. You're a mercy displayer. You're a gospel promoter and a God-honorer. That's what you are. That's what you were saved to be. That's your highest privilege. Verse 5 says you're a living stone in the temple of God where God is worshipped. Priests promoted worship, and they connected people to God. That's the context of the calling we're about to see. And what Peter is saying is in your role as priest, and bridge builder, and God praiser, and God connector. You need to live in a particular way, because people are expect, uh, skeptical. Verse 11 says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. They war against your soul, and they also undermine the integrity of your message. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent. Do you see the word behavior we're going to talk about home and marriage behavior. Keep it excellent. Keep it excellent, so the Gentiles—that's people who don't know God, the pagans around you, the unsafe people who are engaged in your world—so that they, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evil doers, because the world doesn't consider you virtuous. Certainly, maybe once upon a time in America, but less and less. We're bigoted. We're racist. We're narrow. we're uh, we're hateful, where there's a whole lot of things that the world would say about us, and we could argue that it's like that season, we are slandered, that when they slander you as evildoers, that they may on account, watch verse 12, on account of your good deeds, the stuff you do, that's the behavior they see, as they observe those things, that they will ultimately glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, just summarize. They're not just going to give praise to Jesus because He's the Lord of everything. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, Philippians 2. That will happen. This is not that. This is slanderers and skeptics becoming worshipers and God God glorifiers when He returns. This is unsaved people who will be saved people. This is people who are transformed. Because as a priest, you not only say it, praising him, not only do you testify to the mercy, I deserved death and I got life. What I deserved, I didn't get. What was undeserved grace, I received. Every Christian has a testimony. And they're an agent of bearing witness to the gospel of unmerited favor, the mercy of God. We proclaim it, we share it, we have it, God's honored by it, and people are impacted by it when it's validated and united with a life that is good deeds and behavior. To say it and not live it undermines the veracity of it. It doesn't make it not true. It just makes it hard for people to buy it as true because they don't see the effect of it. Peter is calling the people of God to live out the effect of the gospel of God, to the glory of God, so that people who don't know God get to know God and glorify God when the visit comes, when the king of kings returns. That's the context of chapter 3, 1 through 7. That context starts in chapter 2, verse 13. Here's the kind of context or the kind of conduct. If you're a citizen, submit yourself to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word submit. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. And not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Verse 21. Well, let, let me finish. Verse 19. For this finds favor. You should highlight that. This finds favor with whom? God. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, he's submitting, he's serving, he's being mistreated. This finds favor with God. Verse 20, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Do you think this matters to God? Yes, it does. This grants you a position with God that's favorable. What has produced that favor? Submission has fostered that favor. Living right, behaving excellently in the context of your, your citizenship, in the context of your employment, in your relationship with people, under whose authority you function. The heart of this section is in 21, for you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? To suffer for doing what is right, to submit to the will of the Father, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth, and while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. In other words, he endured negative consequences even though he was doing the right thing. And sometimes you will do the right thing at home, in your marriage or in your workplace, and you'll endure negative consequences. And that suffering is, 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 is in kind what Christ endured. And he did not endure the wrong way, but the right way, and you're to behave in a way that honors him because you are like him. He uttered no threats. He kept, in perfect tense, He kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. He Himself bore our sins. He suffered so that we might be blessed. He suffered to the uttermost in His body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds you were healed. His suffering to straying sheep, verse 25, His suffering on behalf of us allowed us to obtain a relationship with Him as our shepherd and to enjoy His protection, the protection of our eternal soul. He suffered for our benefit. Doing what is right, submitting. Who did He submit to? The Father. What did He submit to? Substitutionary suffering on our behalf so we could benefit spiritually and ultimately. Submission is the theme of this passage, and it includes husbands and wives. Verse 1, in the same way. In the same way as who? The citizens, the employees or the slaves, and the Son of God. Just like he submitted, wives you submit. Likewise, verse 7, same word, in the same way. That's what it means. Same exact word. It's likewise in my translation. In the same way, verse 1, it's the same word. In the same way, you husbands submit. Submit to what? To your authority, God, Christ, we already talked about this, to live with your wife in a way that validates the gospel and honors God. Wives, you submit to your husbands in a way that validates the gospel and honors God. This is the behavior that affects people, including the children in your home. This is a gospel-validating, God-honoring husband and wife. This makes the gospel believable and real. It gives God appropriate honor even if it hurts. And sometimes in your home, as with the wife in this context, it'll hurt because she's living with a dishonorable husband. Maximizing your marriage has a triple benefit. To win, win, win. To win for God It's a win for the people who are a witness of your home and marriage, including your children. And it's a win for your relationship. Because good people who know Christ are going to sometimes fall short of living for and acting like a Christian ought to live. This is the encouragement to that end. So I want to talk about, in closing today, the things you need in order to deal with, with difficult circumstances in your home. The characteristics of a God-honoring and gospel-validating wife and husband. And the first principle or conviction I want to promote with you is people who honor God and validate the gospel, wives and husbands, are people who possess a compelling conviction that their marriage matters to God and the people around them. Because of the context of Peter's exhortation, God-honoring and gospel-validating men and women, husbands and wives, are governed by the conviction that this, their marriage, how they treat their husband and how the husband treats his wife, it matters to God. It brings glory to God when properly lived and properly dealt with. And it affects the impact of the gospel of God. The God-honoring and gospel-validating wife and husband actually have a conviction that this is right, this commitment to my home and how I live there, and it finds favor in the sight of God, even if I have to suffer to submit. They recognize their marriage is not first and just about their satisfaction. It's about God's reputation and about their neighbor's conversion. This perspective and heart conviction is foundational, and I'm going to argue non-negotiable for the God-honoring wife and husband. This matters. Listen, your happiness matters. Your fulfillment matters. But there's something else that matters. God's honor and the influence of the gospel you profess to believe and promote. The second characteristic of a God-honoring and gospel-validating wife and husband is not just a compelling conviction that this matters, but in both cases, husband and wife, it's really obvious with the wife, but it's also true, likewise, tells you this involves submission. The second characteristic of God-honoring and gospel-validating wives and husbands is they express faith-filled submission. just like citizens do to government, even when the government isn't supportive. Servants to masters, even when masters are unreasonable, just like Christ did to unreasonable men. Likewise, wives and husbands are to, we already talked about it, hupotasso. They're to arrange themselves, listen to this, willingly. Not coerced, They want to, and they want to because they understand that they need to. They're arranging themselves under the leadership of another for the purposes of God, for the glory of God, and the gospel of God. They understand that submission is ultimately not to a husband, not to an employer or to a king. Submission is to God and to living in a way that honors God. So, they have a faith filled submission to their true authority in the home, the wife to the husband, the husband to Christ, both to the Lord. They actively and voluntarily submit to the authority and the sovereignty of God. They recognize that He created this marriage, God joined us together. It's not a contract, it's a covenant, for better or for worse and that God rules over the circumstances that we face as a couple. I submit to that. I submit to his sovereignty, to his authority, and to his plan, the plan we talked about in Genesis 2. I submit to the plan of God. I recognize that he designs it, and he defines the purpose of marriage and the duration of marriage until death do us part. I submit to the capacity of God. I recognize his ability to change and use this circumstance to bring him glory, to save, and to sanctify. The challenges you have in your marriage, no matter how horrific, are potential tools to help you display grace, mercy, gospel, trust. I'm a better man if I suffer submitting to the authority, sovereignty, capacity, and plan of God in my home, because it makes me more representative of the God I worship, the Christ who suffered, and the gospel that saves. All right, let's talk about the wife. That's the big idea faith filled submission, a compelling conviction. I'm going to argue if you don't understand that, you're not going to buy chapter 3. Not when it relates to a difficult space. I want to talk about the wife. Look, there's six verses for her. Does that strike anybody as strange? Well, it's because it's so hard. You can't argue that she needs all these encouragements or clarifications unless you can say this is tough. This is about the gospel and it's tough because she's living with a guy who's not living right. She's called to honor a guy who's not honorable. To obey a guy who's not obeying. You want to say amen, ladies? That's tough. The characteristics of a God honoring and gospel validating wife. Here it is, ladies. She commits to faith filled, respectful fellowship even in the face of disrespectful leadership. She commits to faith filled, respectful fellowship even in the face of disrespectful leadership. Disrespectful to God because he's disobedient to the word of God. Disrespectful to her because she's desiring a leader who will lead her for the glory of God in the ways of God. Ladies, you validate the gospel with willing, honoring, and trusting following. You see the word, verse 1, even if they're not honorable, you honor them. Honorable even if they're dishonorable. Obedient to the word even if they are disobedient to the word whether they're lost or saved. Some people argue this is only about lost people. This is saved wives affecting for the gospel their unsaved husbands. I don't want to disagree with that. I just don't want to limit it to that. Because saved husbands can go AWOL in disrespecting the word of God and the gospel of God. Matter of fact, let may be one of the hardest challenges to have a guy you live with who professes Christ who doesn't live for Christ. What do you do with that guy? What do you do as a wife if they're not doing what they should do as a husband? You obey the one who disobeys God and his word. I'm not saying you obey them if they're leading you into sin. The caveat is you obey God rather than the man. They're wanting you to go to an inappropriate place or do inappropriate things. They want you to not go to church because they're not interested in church. I ought to obey God rather than man. Okay, so let me make that clear. But unless it's one of those kinds of things where God has blatantly spoken and they are denying that or promoting something that God denies, you follow them. Why would you do that? Because it has impact and influence. That submission itself is more powerful than the beauty of your complexion, the beauty of your hair, the beauty of your clothing. The adornment that's outward does not have the power of the life that is generated and sourced inward. And that life is modeled by what you do when they don't deserve it. You win them without a word. Look at verse 1 without a word. What do you win them to? Salvation or restoration? Primarily by your behavior, not your words. Not rebuking, but living, not nagging, but honoring. And listen, without words doesn't mean the silent treatment. Silent treatment is just another kind of punishment. It's not without words because you're hacked. It's out without words because it's not the words that annoy or or um, nag or rebuke. It's the impact of what they observe in you that's being emphasized. That's what verse 2 says, as they observe. It's optimi, optics, your eye, epi, what they see, what they really see. It's so intensive. They can't miss it. So as they observe in you, your chase, that word means pure. It's a, it's a Greek word which means there's, there's no stain. There's no stain of what? The flesh. In other words, you're not carnal. The world, you're not responding in the way that the world would or your girlfriends at work would tell you to respond. And it's not stained by sin. It's not a natural thing. It's not a carnal thing. It's a supernatural thing for the glory of God and for the gospel of God I'm going to live purely with my husband in an unstained way so that they are they're able to observe the conduct of a Christian wife when a husband does not behave as a Christian or is not a Christian it says chaste and respectful it's the word fear the fear of God it means to honor someone it's respectful High honor and regard, let me put it this way, ladies, is to show and display value and respect for your husband by your behavior, even if he's not respectable in his behavior. Distinctly Christian is what hognos, the word pure, is. It's uniquely Christian. Your attitudes and your actions more than your words. Listen, this is about what they see. This is not about what they hear. Let me uh, summarize it this way verse three, it's the hidden person of the heart. You see the word merely? It's italicized because it's implied. It's not, look, it, there's, this is not advocating you look like a monk or a woman who doesn't care about your clothes or your hair. It's not discrediting looking good, taking time, valuing yourself as a woman for your husband. It's not saying that. It's saying it's more than that. The impact of what they see is a result of what they can't see. The inner beauty, the hidden person of the heart. Do you see the word heart? It's the influence that's greater than outward pretty. This is more powerful than pretty. This is beauty. Look, well, both matter, but one matters more. Here's the application, ladies. Prioritize precious and imperishable Christ like inward beauty. And that's characterized in verse four by the words gentle and quiet. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality. In other words, it's it's not here today, gone tomorrow. It doesn't wrinkle, it doesn't age. You don't need Botox for this. You don't need cosmetics for this. This is imperishable. By the way, I don't like Botox. Look at the ladies who do Botox. It doesn't seem to turn out good. And that's my opinion. So I don't want to offend anybody, but that's just an observation. It doesn't seem to do the trick. I'm going to talk about gentle and quiet in a minute, but here's the big idea applicationally. Ladies, prioritize precious and imperishable Christ like inward beauty, characterized by gentle and quiet, not just temporal outward adornment. Prioritize the internal because it's eternal, it's imperishable, it's impactful, not the external, not the temporal, and not the superficial. Focus more on your spiritual and relational beauty than your hair, your makeup, and your physical beauty. Listen, in a made-up, look-at-me, social media culture, a God-honoring and a gospel-validating wife has to think differently. They need to focus on true beauty, which is precious in the sight of God. And listen to me, it's soul-impacting on the life of your husband. Gentle is the word meek. You're familiar with the word meek, maybe, if you've been a Christian a while. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is the gentleness that's the result of being reserved. Instead of reactionary, you're under control. It's not that you're not hurt, it's not that you're not disappointed, it's not that you're not injured, you just don't respond naturally, you respond supernaturally. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You're cultivating and nourishing your spiritual heart as a woman, which is precious and imperishable, and you have the capacity to be gentle when gentleness is not deserved. Exercising God's strength under his control. It's demonstrating power without undue harshness. The word quiet. It's an adjective derived from a word which means to be still. It has to do with divinely inspired inner calmness. It's peace in the midst of the storm. You're calmly quiet. You're appropriately tranquil. Because you are trusting God, as this text says, not your husband. You're not misusing or overusing words that would stir up needless friction. You don't create destructive commotion. You create calm in the midst of the storm. You know, we, we have sickness in our family, and we've tried every kind of solution from going to the doctor, going to the hospitals, doing all the normative medical things, and then we've done, because of desperation and because of a testimony, we've done the what I would call the I-can't-believe-I-would-try-this type of a thing. People who have holistic and, and natural approaches, everything from magnets to radio waves to jugs of water with frequencies in When you're unhealthy and somebody you trust says, this helped me, guess what you do unless it's illegal. (laughs) You pay for it and you try it. But what's interesting about all of these kind of out of the hospital, because the hospital is everything it seems but this, but when you go into one of these holistic medicinal kind of providers or helpers, you go in there, they got it all going on. They got the music going on. They've got the soft lighting going on. They've got they've got the seating that you would want to sit in. You're walking in and everything's going. Oh. Are you with me? You understand what I'm? You ever been to one of those places? No. You want to describe it to you? You walk in the door and there's some kind of tranquil music playing, some of that new age stuff. <laughs> You know, if it's a Christian place, it might be hymns, acoustic hymns, piano or whatever. And then there's some kind of fountain in the corner with the dripping water. And then there's soft colors and soft lights. Are you with me now? That's calm. That's what a wife produces in her home. By the Spirit of God, she reduces and de-escalates the potential conflict by the spirit she brings to the table. And this is with a husband who's in disobedience. He's dishonoring. He may not be a saved husband. He may be a selfish husband. She has strength. Meekness is not weakness. You've heard that. This is power of God under control like Christ. I am meek and lowly. I am not weak. And I'm responding to a reality that's provocative and hard because I am aiming at something. The glory of God matters more to me than whatever is being denied me. And the gospel my children need to receive and see and what my neighbors need to see and receive is more important to me than what I don't experience as a wife. And I'm going to create under the power of God, with the influence of the Holy Spirit. And ladies, this is something that doesn't happen natural. You don't wake up and default to this. You have time with God, seeking the life and power of God so you can walk in the Spirit of God with a man who's not living for God and not loving the way he promised you to love for the glory of God. This is trusting and hoping in God Verse 5, these are holy women. Verse 5, for in this way, in former times, holy women. And, and holy isn't like I've got a garb on and I, I, I chant religious things. This is, I, I, this is not pious. This is set apart by God, for God, for the glory of God. Holy means I'm set apart. I'm different. It's really a repetition of pure. Holy and what did they do, these women who honored the Lord in days past, as an example? And by the way, it wasn't easier then. It was a patriarchal culture. Man, you think you have no rights now. You should have lived then. And if you come from a Middle Eastern culture, what, what he says goes. And if you say something or think something different, guess what that means? Nothing. 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 I mean, the Jews said, I'd rather be a dog or a Gentile than a woman. (laughs) It wasn't like there was rights. And these women in that culture, in former times, hoped in God. So ladies, here it is for you. Rely, rest, and trust in God. Not your husband, not your words. Trust in him. Because you knew who's going to change your husband? He is. I've yet to meet the woman that could persuade her husband to become righteous when he's unrighteous. When he's selfish and self-centered, when he's disobedient to God, when he's dishonoring his priorities, it's rarely the voice of an exhortation from a wife. It's surely not her nagging. It's not her silent treatment. It's the quality of her life because she hopes in God and she knows God's good for this. And if it happens, it's because he does it. You're safe while vulnerable. You hope in God for your husbands to change. You hope in God for your own security in the midst of your vulnerability. You hope in God for your needs and your desires. God is your hope, not yourself, not your husband, and certainly not someone else. I love verse 6. I'm trying to teach, you know, get Karen to buy into this, calling him Lord. (laughs) (laughs) You know what that has to do with? You speak of and to him with terms and tone of honor. You speak of him and to him with terms and the tone of honor. This is to address with respect and regard. Whatever those words are in your relational vocabulary, honey, dear, sweetheart, you, you, you have your vocabulary. That's the way a wife wins him without a word by the under control, I'm trusting God, I'm creating peace in the midst of the storm, and I'm waiting, and I'm behaving in a way that's undeniably God-honoring and gospel-validating. That is not our culture. You hurt me, I hurt you. You raise your voice with me, I'm raising it with you. You don't meet my needs, I'm not meeting your needs. You know what that isn't? Christian. It's natural. Your friends at work will tell you, don't put up with that. I'll tell you what Peter would tell you. Honor the Lord, honor the gospel of God. All right, men, you ready for your one verse? Verse. This is the true me too movement, okay? Verse 7, you husbands likewise, you too. You too submit yourself as a husband to the authority that is yours, Christ, who commissions, commands you to display, here it is, committed and considerate, engaging with your wife. Committed and considerate, engaging. Engaging. Let me give you the highlights of verse 7. There's a full sermon here. You husbands, likewise, do you see live with? Live with is a participle. It modified submit. You submit by living with. Living with means to reside together with someone. It's a command. It means to dwell with, engage with companion with. This is dwelling with them, not divorcing them, not separating from them, not running or escaping from them, living with them. It's not just rooming with them. Living with, not just eating with, showering, sleeping in the same house. It involves proximity and engaging relational activity. Let me say it this way. Living with is doing life with them, not just living in the house with them. Some of you are like, some of us can be like roommates You come to home and you have your own life. She has her life. You have your own routine. She has her routine and you're, you're separate in the same house. This is not that I submit to God because I'm a proactive pursuer as a husband to engage relationally with my wife in a understanding way. See the word according to knowledge. Verse 7, in an understanding way is according to knowledge, according to nosen. Nosen is the word for knowledge, information, perspective. Now, generally, what kind of knowledge do I need as a husband? Well, first of all, it says because she's a woman. She's a woman. She's different than I am, and she's weaker than I am what it says in verse 7, understanding way as with a weaker vessel, vessel has to do with her body since she is a woman. So I understand she's a woman, and I know as a woman, she needs two things. She needs protection physically, and she needs promotion socially, because she's in a world where women don't matter. They certainly don't vote. They don't have influence unless it's in the home and I recognize, according to this passage, because I'm a Christian husband, that she enjoys as a woman life like I enjoy it, physical life. She's an grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's the recipient of natural life. She is called by God with her husband to subdue the earth and to fill it. She's co-regent of the world in which she lives. We're together supervising and fulfilling the mission of God in our respective space. And we do that together. She's a fellow. She's equal. She's an heir like I'm an heir, and and this implies she's a Christian. She may or may not be required by this word, but it's certainly reasonable to say she's a believer like I'm a believer. She's an heir of eternal life. She enjoys the spirit of God, the grace of God, the hope of God. She's that woman. She's equal to me. She's not lesser than me. She has a respective role, but my wife is not less than I am. She bears the image of God like I bear it. She has characteristics that... I don't have that bear witness to the glory of God. Treat her like that, one made in his image, and treat her like one who's been saved by grace through faith and enjoys a status with God that I enjoy, neither bond nor free, rich or poor, neither male nor female. It's not about my role. It's not about her preaching instead of me preaching. It's not what she's called to do. It's who she is because she's called. Treat her like that. Live with her like that. Engage with her like that. Protect her and promote her in a world that disrespects her. Look, of all the people in the world that ought to champion women, Christian men should. But they should champion them in the ways that God would. Listen, they're not weaker in the sense that they're not tough. I've seen my wife birth a baby. She's tough. They're not necessarily intellectually weaker. There are some women who would run circles around us as men. This is not about intellectual weakness. It's not about toughness. It's not because somehow men are better and women are lesser. This is about lacking position, influence, power, and regard in the culture, and she's physically weaker. There's a reason trans men are lifting bigger weights than women today. There's a reason why trans men are outrunning women at the race today. There's a reason trans men are swimming faster than women swim. You know why? They're stronger. Men need to be protective There's a call for chivalry, gentlemen. I don't know what happened to it, but we need to resurrect it. It's out of honor to protect your wife. Walk on the street or the uh, street side of, of the sidewalk. Honor her in a way that respects her needs and understands her needs. Protect her, promote her, prioritize her. Honor her. Spiders, deal with them. <laughs> Snakes, take care of them. Do what men do. Protect her and promote her in a culture that can disrespect her. Or in our culture, they've totally unraveled their appropriate view of her. She's a homemaker. She's a mother. She's somehow lesser. You promote her and protect her. She's a woman, and she has specific needs, not just general needs. And I would say this to you. According to knowledge, my wife is not your wife. You need to know your wife. You need to know what motivates her and encourages her and supports her. Listen, Karen is horses, not high-performance anything. She likes the slow car that doesn't cause her panic or fear. She's country, not city. She's boots, not high heels. She's jeans, not dresses. She's craftsman, not modern. I mean architecture. She's chocolates, Russell Stover, not jewelry. She's time, not flowers. I need to know her. I need to talk her language. Her language may not be my language. I need to talk her language. Like missions, you know, you go to the mission field, you don't expect them to learn your language. You got to learn their language. Well, when you get married, you got to learn their language. And if you're a husband, you need to learn to speak that language. That's living with her in an understanding way, according to knowledge. Not just her biological, physical weakness, not just her social weakness, but her specific needs in order to meet those needs. The final thing, for the sake of time, is he not only lives with her in a considerate and committed way, he lives with her in an honoring and gracious way. He's an honoring and gracious leader. He shows his wife daily honor and respect, according to his knowledge of her high position. He daily shows his wife honor. That's why the word is granting. It's another participle it modifies the submission, submit, submit by granting assigning and bestowing, worth and value, paying respect. On my phone, if you look for Karen, you're going to see Princess Karen. I put that on there a long time ago, not because she needs to know that, I need to remember that. So if I'm getting a call or making a call, I'm reminded of who I'm talking to. High station. She's a daughter of the king of kings. She enjoys a title and a name and a priority and a status that is worthy of my honor. Husbands, submit to that. Talk to her like that. Live with her that way. Honor her. Grant her honor. Someone has said honor and love are not the same things. Love is willful, sacrificial action and strong affection. Honor is to think highly, to respect highly, to show respect for, to recognize the value of and bestow that honor in regard for their great worth. She is equal to me. She's human like I'm human. She enjoys the image of God like I do. She's not inferior. She has a unique space and place, and we both enjoy the life of God and the status of that life. I take that to be the grace of life. We are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Now, some folks would interpret that as marriage. That would not be my first default place. She's an heir. We get married, we don't become heirs. When we get married, we enter into a covenant relationship as heirs if we're followers of Christ. So that's my encouragement to you today to live in a way that honors the Lord as a wife and as a husband, to submit to God and to submit to those priorities. I want to conclude with this kind of grocery list, and I know I'm a little behind I told you it was a lot to say in a short time, and you'll be so pleased with how much I just edited. But I want to flesh this out for the husbands because I realized I've got some things I want to say to you, and I'll say them rapid fire. But God-honoring and gospel-validating husband respects and honors the reality of this shared grace of life station in seven ways. Number one, he treats his wife as an essential kingdom mission partner, not just a housekeeper. That goes all the way back to Genesis 2. He treats his wife as an intimate companion, which means you respect her opinion. And you treat her as an intimate companion with whom he shares his life and soul. He respects her as his life partner and his best friend. Three, he partners with his wife in their shared family responsibilities in the home. One of the big things that came out of COVID is the frustration of women who couldn't get husbands to help. My wife is a homemaker, but it doesn't absolve me of responsibilities to help make the home. Because there's illness in our home, and sometimes she feels less than best or often feels less than best, you'll be happy to know I've been domesticated. I have more skills and categories I never had them before because I've had to. It's good for a husband to live with his wife in a way that partners with her in the priorities of the home, not just leaving those priorities to her. Four, he affirms her rarity and her beauty. He acknowledges her God-given talents and passions and supports their growth and expression for the glory of God and the good of men. Think Proverbs 31, that husband released his wife to do what she was capable of doing. Karen has gifts. She has supernatural capacities. She can do things. Those things need to be supported and developed. You need to know her so you can help her achieve what God built her to be. Not just your practical partner in your mission, but how God wants her to play out her role in the context of your home and your family. He... There's the next one. He promotes her strengths and he protects her weaknesses. He promotes her strengths and he protects her weaknesses. Next, he respects his wife spiritually and recognizes her before God equality as a sister in Christ. He does not regard himself as better than her. She is a fellow heir. He acknowledges and values her spiritual giftedness and promotes and supports her necessary and essential contribution to the body of Christ. I am not the only gifted by Christ person to serve Grace Community Church. My spouse is gifted by God to serve Grace Community Church. It is my job as a husband to help promote that priority, to make space for it, to make room for it, to understand it, and to facilitate it. Your wife is not just somebody who does housekeeping and child rearing. They're not just somebody who goes to work and helps support the family, maybe financially. She is a fellow heir with gifts, talents, and capacities that a submitting-to-Christ husband maximizes by their intentionality and by their desire to understand those priorities and capacities. And the result... And For the sake of completeness, your prayers aren't hindered. Implied is if you're not that kind of husband, there's a roadblock on your way to your destination, and it's with God. I mean, periodically, if you live in the Los Angeles area, you'll be going down a road, and I did this on 99 on the way to Visalia, past Bakersfield three lanes, you pick them, four lanes, whatever. I picked the far lane left thinking that's the fast lane until it became the only lane and it was blocked off by concrete blocks and then it stopped. And everybody to my right is going along merrily and I'm stuck. I can't get out. I'm impeded. I am totally blocked. You know what that word is? Hindered. Where I want to go, I can't go because of a barrier I can't overcome. Husbands, you cannot overcome the barrier with God that results in answered prayer. And prayer is the call to God of things you need that you don't have, that if he doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Those prayers are blocked by way of their fulfillment if I'm not willing to live as a godly husband engaging, honoring, graciously leading. Christian marriage is a tool for worship and an instrument of influence. Use it and let God bring himself the glory he deserves in a world that needs to see him, not us. And in a way that validates the gospel, even to the little ones who grow up in our home. And that's how you do it. And that's a maximized marriage. And that's a healthy home for the glory of God. Can you say amen to that? That was a quiet one. (laughs) You're either tired or you're going, I need to think about that. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to think about these priorities that are so unnatural to us and certainly not culturally consistent with the testimony of the world around us. And we have a hundred justifications as to why not, but we need to. And I pray that we would honor you. We would be God presenters and people connectors so that the way we live at home brings glory to you. And as a standout, I can't deny the truth of the gospel witness to the world watching. Not words, but lifestyle, living in a way that honors you and in a way that models Christ, even if it hurts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.